0: Hey, all you disciples! I'm Michael. And I'm Brendan from Finding Christ in Cinema. You are listening to the Theonauts Podcast with your hosts, David and Jeremiah. Right here at GCTNetwork.com. Your Great Commission Transmission. The Theonauts,
1: episode 121.
0: The one where we sing in harmony while talking about homiletics. The
1: Theonauts Podcast. <laughs> Christian news from around the globe.
0: In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth.
1: It is the glory of God to conceal a thing, but the honor of kings is to search out a matter.
0: Explore the vast reaches of God's word.
1: Hey, all you Theo expositors. I'm David Gaddy.
0: I'm Jeremiah Orr. And
1: we are the, the Theonauts. Nauts, Nauts, Nauts. <laughs> so we're doing this a little different tonight.
0: Yeah, it's totally without singer, so I don't have any prompts or anything <laughs> to go on. This is a weird one. Yes, yeah, so
1: I use I use my iPad for um <laughs> his, for my soundboard.
0: His ancient iPad. Is this a Generation 1 dude?
1: Oh no, no. This is a it's, two. I think it's a three. Really? Yeah.
0: Wow, so it's not that ancient. But but yeah, I let it Does it have a lightning cable or is it the old
1: No no cable? no. It's the old big wide cable. Yeah. But it um it I g it's got hit and unplugged and it ran uh-huh. out of juice just sitting here. Oh yeah. And uh so whenever I plugged it back in, it's been plugged in for <sighs> What thirty minutes or At an hour? Least, yeah, and it hasn't even gotten up high enough to turn on.
0: <laughs> so we're gonna brave the uh, podcasting world without our stingers. Yeah.
1: And you're probably confused because you're hearing the stingers here and there. It's because I'm putting them in in posts.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I don't get that pleasure, but whatever. Anyways, <laughs> how was your da- how was your day week last year? I don't know. Good. How was your week, David? Good
1: man. How's how's everything been going with you?
0: Uh. Other than getting peed on and puked on twice this morning after being <laughs> up since 3.30, I'm doing great. Nice. Yeah, it's been a the fun day. The joys
1: of fatherhood.
0: Yes, it's been great. Blakely is... Parenthood. Uh, she is teething like crazy, and so like she's been running a fever every night and mm-hmm. doing the, the fun stuff of, of being upset and fussy. and. But she's pretty, so it's all right. I love her. <laughs> Anyways...
1: That's just the way it goes, this man.
0: This morning I was just like That's it. I'm not going. Like the Grinch. <laughs> the Grinch <laughs> Christmas, I was there. <laughs> but uh I gathered myself, composed myself, said a little prayer and got in the car and here we are, man. <laughs> awesome. So anyways, good week. How about you? Well what? we had
1: a we had a good um a good weekend at church. We had a, yes, a baptism. We a had,
0: baptism.
1: Yeah, we had um, a guy that we've been helping a little bit here in town, and and um, he really hadn't even visited us much at Not church. At we've talked to him quite a bit, right? And uh, and he he decided he wanted to give his life to the Lord, and he came in the um, he, he stood up in front of the congregation because he wanted to make a little short statement. And I think he got a little nervous. He was going to tell the story about how he burned his Bibles three oh, yeah. years ago. Hmm. So he's, he's been at war with God in this journey, right? And uh, uh, he told us the story. He brought us his Bible, and it uh-huh. was like soot covered, right? Like it was like it had smoke damage all over it. And he said. Uh, you know, a few years ago he, he he got upset with God. He threw it into the trash fire that was burning outside. It was like five foot tall fire right and he threw it in there. and when the fire went out, the Bible was still laying there.
0: How amazing.
1: and he was showing us the inside of it, and the pages weren't even
0: Touch. burned or That's anything right. on the
1: inside it was like perfectly usable. Yeah.
0: That's amazing. <laughs> great story. Yeah. So, so yeah. That he, was awesome. He uh he's a great guy and and Sanders' life so we got to do a baptism, which is always awesome. And you
1: know what was was really cool is when he got out of the baptistry, he turned around, he grabbed my hand, he looked at me and he was like, his eyes got really wide and he said, "Did you feel that?"
0: <laughs> 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 Just like that. Wow. I was like, "Wow, that's Awesome. So heaven gains another brother, and uh, and we're all the better for it.
1: Yeah. So
0: awesome. All right, you want to jump into this crazy topic we're about to hit? Let's do it. All right. <laughs> so, what is homiletics? I mentioned in our uh, in my little. <laughs> One-liner for all of you non-preachers out out there. Five-dollar words. That's right. Homiletics is four-dollar words. Four-dollar homiletics. Yeah, four-dollar words. Uh, It's the uh, the way in which you deliver or preach scripture. Right. So there are many different ideas and arguments out there on how this should be done. And how it shouldn't be done. And how it shouldn't be done. And uh, the main things that we're going to talk about today are expository preaching versus versus topical topical. preaching. That's right. (laughs) So what is expository preaching, David?
1: Expository preaching is really just about, uh, it really boils down to technically meaning getting what this text means in its context. But generally, how we use the term is verse-by-verse verse walking through the scriptures. Yeah. So whenever you do uh, expository teaching or preaching, you are doing a chapter study or a book study. or yes. And so you're, you're moving through it and letting the Bible do most of the teaching. Right. Um, and Ex- part of it is to avoid uh, contextual issues.
0: Right. Well, to me, expository preaching, this is... The main definition, and this is why I think this is a a non-argument. It's kind of frustrating to me when people argue about it. Um, Expository meaning uh, messages break the text down, break a scripture down to its basic meaning Mm -hmm. to further understand. So you're using historical background in the text. You're using um, the type of writing it is, right? Um, You're using mood, tense, voice, you're using original language. You're using all that stuff to bring to bring uh, about the, the actual meaning of the text, right? Right. That's what expository actually means. But you're right. Pastors uh, throughout the ages have used this word expository to mean verse by verse teaching, and it actually has taken on that meaning now. Most yeah, that's pretty much whenever what it you means. Hear, I mean,
1: if 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 the definition you basically gave to me, that's exegesis.
0: Which is the same thing, actually. I yeah. think they're synonyms. And
1: and uh, but when people say exegetical, that's that they is mean, different than what they mean when they say expository, right? So so generally expository preaching is the preaching through the Bible, right? Like through the Bible with J Vernon McGee.
0: <laughs> <laughs> J, this is J Vernon McGee. Through the Bible, man, I listen to that guy every night driving home from wherever with my dad all the time. That's, I mean, I probably could quote half of his (laughs) lessons now. And he was whenever I first became interested in being a pastor, my dad got me a lot of his commentaries, the J. Vernon McGee commentaries, yeah, because they're very called through the Bible, through the Bible, and they're Mm -hmm. very, uh, very simple. And broken down from his point of view. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's
1: definitely things that, because uh, they still play J. Vernon McGee on the radio every morning, Yeah, at least the, here in Dallas. And uh, so I was listening to him the other day, and there was things and I was like, mm, not quite there.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm, I'm all with you. Keep, keep going, you know. He's,
0: See, that's a- His family
1: is, is actually producing all that now. Oh, really? Yeah, because he's, you know, he's passed.
0: That's a topic for another time. But, you know, people jump on these uh, theologians or people who teach exegetically. Mm-hmm. And so they to them, that's what the text means. Right. Like, uh, another thing like that is study Bibles. So, for instance, the Schofield mm-hmm. study Bible is, like, held up as the exemplary study Bible. In other words, the John MacArthur study Bible. And these things are seen as the greatest, you know... Yeah. Bibles that yeah. you can get because they explain the text to you. But what you gotta understand is you're getting one guy's uh, one guy's version of the text, uh, yeah, his interpretation, his or interpretation his understanding, and his the- theology. And doesn't it. mean
1: he's right. Doesn't mean he's wrong. Exactly. But and and that's one of the the beauties. And that's also to me the beauties of translations. Is you can't always trust the same translation all the time for every text, right. You really need to mix it up and and of course, we've talked about this before on the show. and this this episode is going to tie in real well with uh, with several of the episodes we've had before. We have talked about exegesis and isoggesis and hermeneutics and and all the things that you should do as a theologian or as a student of the Bible, as a preacher, teacher, whatever. You need to be using these tools. Uh, you need to be exegetical. Now, don't take that to mean necessarily that you have to always be an expository preacher.
0: Yeah, and so, that's, where, that's <clears throat> where we're going with this. So a list of some famous expository preachers you might have heard of. John, John Piper, mm-hmm. almost everything he does is expository preaching. He walks through uh, chapters of the Bible. Yeah. um and he'll do topics so his his uh oh my computer just blanked out he'll do uh
1: oh no it's, wonder hey it's, it is gone really
0: yeah no now it's back on what was that i don't That's know so weird that was weird anyways so back to Jump piper okay. ah, here it is it's back now. It's weird. Um, John Piper will use, so he'll title his sermons on topics, but they will still be expository
1: (coughs) preaching. Yeah, he'll preach through texts that speak to the topic.
0: Right, exactly.
1: So, like, uh, on the flip side, though, you've got preachers like, say, Francis Chan, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: who is more topical in his preaching. Um, David Platt. Mm-hmm. He's pretty topical, uh, Matt Chandler. Uh, there's there is a, a good mix actually out there, and one of the things that I wanted to bring up, and the reason why I felt like this is so relevant or or pertinent, <clears throat> is because I, I'm seeing a trend in yes in um in the the theological world,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and that trend is this. Uh, Almost bashing of topical preaching. Yeah. So should, should that that the a lot of, of um, expository preaching preachers want to say this is the only way you need to be doing it.
0: Well, yeah. Let me give you a great example, Doctor Al Al Mohler, who I love by the way. Uh, he's the president of Southern Baptist Seminary in yeah. uh, Tennessee. Premier guy he reads a book a day and writes about it. Like <laughs> I mean, that's his life. You know. That's what he does. Anyways, uh, a great article you can read. Uh, This is from 2013. It's entitled Preaching with Authority. Three Characteristics of Expository Preaching. And this is what he says. Authentic expository preaching is marked by three distinct characteristics. Authority, reverence, and centrality. Expository preaching is authoritative because it stands upon... The very authority of the Bible is the word of God. Such preaching requires and reinforces a sense of reverent expectation on the part of God's people. Finally, expository preaching demands the central place in Christian worship and is respected as the the event through which the living God speaks to his people. So it's the event. (laughs) <laughs> In which the living God speaks is pre- right. only expository preaching. By the way, if you're not doing any other, <laughs> it's expository pe- preaching. Yeah,
1: and this is the kind of uh, rhetoric that I'm t- actually t- talking about, right. where it's almost propping it up as like this style of preaching is true to God's word, and and topical is not. And um, so, I want to talk about the pros and cons of those arguments. Okay, so okay, um, let's look at some of the arguments against topical preaching, and the reason why expository preaching is tends to be um, uh, being promoted is that uh, I've heard it said topical preaching is dangerous because um, because of contextual issues. so in other words, if you are if you're preaching a topic, you have a greater tendency To pull one verse or even a part of a verse completely out of context and use it wrong to make a point. And um, so, what do you think about that?
0: Well, do you have any examples of that?
1: Well, I mean, you can always. Okay, great example. How should two walk together unless they be agreed? Amos
0: three, Amos 3. 3, verse 3. Yes.
1: It's completely out of context. It has nothing to do with agreeing with people. It has nothing to do with Christian arguments. It has nothing to do with doctrinal differences. Nothing, nothing, nothing whatsoever to do with fellowship. Right. It, it, it read in its proper context. It is telling you two people can't walk together if they haven't agreed to do so. It's giving you an impossibility because it's setting up the stage for um, for a statement that God is going to judge Israel, and he's saying, can you do this and not expect God to judge? You? Does a lion roar in the jungle unless he has prey? Right. Can two people walk together if they haven't agreed to? That's That's the context. Right. So, obviously, if you're giving a sermon on Christian fellowship,
0: or unity, or know?
1: unity, you and or disunity,
0: <laughs> and you use Amos three three.
1: You can use Amos three three pull it completely out of context. So yes, that's a valid argument.
0: And actually, there are a lot of there there are a lot of people. I mean, all you have to do is go on the internet and search any topic based on yeah uh, scriptural context uh, and pull up somebody taking a verse out of context. Right. It's just the way it happens, because we've said this before, whenever we're talking about uh, exegesis, you can Mm -hmm. take the Bible and make it say...
1: You can make it mean anything you want.
0: Anything you want to say.
1: And and I've, I've heard, especially whenever you get into metaphoric and symbolic language, I mean, it's real easy to say, well, what the guy is saying here is... X Y Z.
0: Right.
1: Uh, that's why there's so many interpretations of the Book of Revelation, right? And the Book of Daniel, and yeah. these places where lots of visions are being referenced, and um, so to me, the problem isn't the style of preaching, okay? In that, because you can do that while you're doing an expository reading. That's right. I've actually heard people give sermons on. Uh, on on chapters like one of the po- most popular ones I've heard is James two, and completely missed the context of what James is saying. You went through it verse for verse. You yeah. read it every single verse, and you pulled it out, exposit you know in an ex- expositional way, but you missed the point, dude. Right. And uh, same way with Romans six, I've heard it preached wrongly.
0: The famous I've- passage of Paul when he's talking about the Lord's supper first Corinthians is it first Corinthians
1: first Corinthians 11
0: 11 we are talking the Lord's supper and he talks about taking it unworthily mm-hmm. I've heard people expositorily preaching through first Corinthians and use that scripture to tell you that if you're in any kind of sin mm-hmm. or you're struggling with any kind of sin you best not take that Lord's supper oh, you might fall down dead right
1: right and yeah. and they'll read the whole chapter or even more so right and still get the passage wrong and right. still misuse it uh 1 Corinthians 3 is another good example. Speaking of unity, that is a unity chapter. Everyone wants to pick about this, uh, uh, if a man's works are uh, gold or wood or stubble or hay, and they get burned up, and they want to translate that to mean my personal works, and just totally miss the point of the entire passage, which reason why it's easy to miss is because maybe you need to expand beyond the chapter breaks too, if you're going to do this expository thing.
0: That's true. So,
1: um, maybe if you started at chapter one of first Corinthians, you would understand that he was talking about Christian unity and division and all that sort of thing and never changed subjects. Right. So it is just as easy to mess up the word of God while preaching in an expository way. Right. as it is to do it in a topical way. Yeah. Um, here's another argument against topical um, preaching. Uh, topical preaching allows you to skip unpopular texts. So let's say, <clears throat> as a preacher, I'm kind of scared to talk about the certain topic because there's people in my crowd that I know are going to take great offense to it so I'm not going to quite step on those toes or step in that area. And since I have the freedom in topical preaching to pull the verses out I want, then we don't have to cover those areas. Huh. So what do you think?
0: Well, uh, part of me agrees with that. I mean, that's obviously true, but th- I think that's true with expository preaching too. <laughs> How many pastors really conquer 1 Chronicles? How many pastors walk through...
1: First Chronicles 1 through 9? Yeah. Which is all, like the entire nine chapters of genealogy.
0: Genealogies. Like, How many pastors like do you basically know Basically, everybody ex- in
1: the Bible's talked about it. Yeah, those. expositarily
0: chapters. preach through that. Or uh, I, I know a lot of pastors that are scared to death to cover Revelation. Mm-hmm. Won't walk through it. So they just don't walk through those books. So they end up walking through the books they know really well, say Romans or 1 Timothy or, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. But they skip out on those other passages. So actually what happens with expository preaching... And, okay, so maybe...
1: Well, here's... I I do agree with this, by the way. These are not... I'm not trying to slam all these. I'm just... I want to give a little balance to the arguments that are being made is all I'm trying to do. Right. So, like, uh, I do agree that... If you're a topical preacher, you do have a lot more freedom in this that's, area. That's 100%. Because true. if you're stepping through, you know, let's say, um, what's a book that has maybe some, some, oh, okay, Hebrews. First, or even, first, yeah, Hebrews or 1 Corinthians or whatever, there are parts of it that you're not going to have a problem at all talking about. Right. But if you're gonna be true to your I think almost
0: every book's like that. I think think of Romans, for example. Mm-hmm. Romans to me is one of the clearest, easiest books to walk through mm-hmm. and to actually see, right? But then you get to that really hairy stuff about the Jews in chapter eleven. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know. <laughs>
1: Yeah, there's some weird stuff in You're there. Right,
0: I don't know if I want to preach through that, because that's going to be a hard, that's going to be one of those hard Sundays, yeah, right? Yeah, <laughs> Where your people are going to walk away going, hmm.
1: I had a lot of people getting mad at me last time I did an expository study of
0: Romans. Oh, did you? <laughs> yeah, that's true.
1: <laughs> but, um, so, okay, so it, but the thing is it can work. I mean, it, 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 ha, it can work, you can do this in any right. setting, but it's probably is easier to do it in a if you're strictly topical speaking. Sure. Cause you can pick and choose what you wanna sure what you want to address and what you don't. And part of this is like let the I understand the argument. Let the text speak for itself. If the if the text was was leading up to a certain event and you cut it short, then you're kind of robbing the original oh, yeah. author of um of, of the points that he was making. Right. But how far do you take that? I mean, remember, those chapter breaks weren't there until Jerome got a hold of it. So, you know, where you—I mean, how many times do you hear someone say, we're going to start in verse 7 of chapter 2, and we're going to run through verse 15 of chapter 3? <laughs>
0: right. You know,
1: no one wants to do it like that. Everyone wants to take it in the— in Chunk
0: chapters. In
1: the chapter yeah. break area. And I,
0: actually, I think that there are a lot more <laughs> pastors that are actually starting to— do that a little bit, like branching out from the, uh, from Jerome's old chapter breaks. Right. Um, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if in a hundred years we might move past the chapter breaks mm-hmm. in some Bibles because, um, for instance, I'm doing a, uh, a Bible study with my youth on Ephesians right now. And, uh, we're taking, we're, we're doing it through, an, um, another, an actual Bible study uh, online and the Bible study curriculum actually takes the chunks that need to be taken like four four and five is a weird chapter break in Ephesians and so right and so it's taken the chunk, seven
1: and eight in Romans
0: right and so it's taking these chunks correctly yeah. you know <clears throat> which I like but anyways getting back to that you're right a lot of a lot of lay pastors or regular pastors, they will take it chapter by chapter. And so you kind of do bust up that, uh, the meaning a little bit. Right.
1: Um, one of them I have here is that, um, topical preaching is bite sized and leads to shallow studies.
0: Hmm. I disagree with that. I, I think that's the, that's the one statement that I probably disagree the most with so far. Mm -hmm. And the reason is, is because we can do, for instance, what we do at the way, um, we've done full topical units. Yes. Yes, it's true. Where they haven't been bite-sized. They've actually been, but a lot of that, I mean, we have, we preach through Romans without preaching through Romans. You know what I mean? Right, right. Uh, but we also did some others. What was it? Uh, but most people
1: wouldn't have considered that expository preaching because right. we didn't cover every passage in
0: exactly. the book. Exactly, and we did it by topic by topic. Right. We did salvation was mm-hmm. our full thing. Now, we used a lot of Romans for that salvation message because Romans deals with salvation. Right. But it was still topical <clears> preaching. <throat> yeah. Um, and it wasn't shallow at all. Uh, because one link to another, link to another, link to another, right? So I don't think I don't think that that one has a lot of validity. That argument. What yeah. do you think? I don't know.
1: Um. Yeah, I've. I can see where some of this is coming from because, um, I think there's another problem at work here, and that is laziness comes into play here. And I will say this your concordance is the worst tool in your biblical arsenal. Yeah,
0: that's very true.
1: Because it does lead to um, to bad context. Right. Because what you'll do is you'll want to see, okay, I'm going to do a study on faith or love or hope or whatever, and you pick a, a topic, and then you go to the concordance and look everywhere that word is used. Mm-hmm. And then if you're lazy you won't read the context that you find the passage in.
0: You'll just pop out some verses that fit with what you want to say. So
1: it could be very shallow. It could be out of context if you're doing your topical studies like that.
0: Right.
1: And I I guess one of the points I want to try and make is regardless of your homiletic, your study practices need to be exegetical period. If you're going to use a passage for a reason, know what that passage means, know the context of that passage and in and out. I mean, there's times whenever I've even said from the pulpit, okay, I'm slightly using this out of context because it was used in this context, but I want to use it like this and it still works to some degree. Right. You know, and I think that it's perfectly cool to do that because you're still finding truth in the scripture even though it wasn't fully in the... And you had a disclaimer there saying right. basically go back and read this because it has a broader... Statement. Meaning, meaning. And you really need to get it all.
0: Right. And so I think that this this argument is a misargument. Really what, what people want to do is argue uh exodus uh, exegetical or expository preaching versus topical preaching. But really what they're arguing is exegesis versus eisegesis. Right. And they've got to understand that you can preach uh, topically using correct exegesis. But the point is, are you really don't, you know, don't be one of those lazy pastors. And I admit wholeheartedly I've done this. So many times I've done this whenever I was younger, and I really didn't understand this. Um, when, especially preparing some of my first sermons, I think back on some of my first sermons, and I just cringe at a lot of things <laughs> that I did because this is the way I was taught. I was taught using a concordance. Mm-hmm. I was taught going, okay, you want to do something on faith, then go through, get your get out your Strong's or get out, you know what I mean, yeah, and look up that word, and then check out all the passages dealing with that. Pull out the ones that. Uh, say what you want it to say, yeah, right? Right, and make your sermon based on that. Three points and a and a poem, right? Based on faith on that on that topic, and the laziness that's involved. That is great. It, it shouldn't take you thirty minutes to come up with the sermon. <laughs> Right. It should take you blood, sweat, and years. Especially if it's topical. <laughs> exactly. Because,
1: it, because if, you're, if you are preaching on a topic, you better know, if you're only going to use a verse here and a verse there, you better know what context that verse came from right. and where it was being used, which means now you've got to read more because right. you're using verses from all over the Bible.
0: And not only that, but you actually have to expound on more in your preaching. Mm-hmm. So you read this passage, and then you have to explain the context of that passage. Yeah. What was happening? What was going on at this time? Okay, so this is what was happening, and this is why Paul said that. Right. Versus uh, walking through, and we're like, okay, so we've learned about these Corinthians and how they're idiots, and this is what Paul's saying right. to them now. You have to actually go through and expound on... So many different things before you get to the point of your scripture yeah. that you're using. And part
1: of the arguments for the expositional thing is that doing it exponentially forces you into some of this. Right. And that's what kind of the arguments are being is that you can't be as lazy, but you can still be lazy. Oh yeah. And that's and and so, you know, you can take a cursory reading of it and okay. A great example, and this is one of the things that I, I try to teach my kids whenever they're studying the Bible, I'm not even talking about building a sermon, but just when they're studying the Bible. I'm like, okay, let's say you're reading through an Old Testament story and you read a name or a place or whatever, and you don't know what that is. Go look it up, find other passages that talk yeah. about that place. And that person, so that you can learn who it is in the context of the story you're reading that you're talking about. That is in a way topical. Right. Because you are having to move from one passage that you're reading over to another passage that you're reading, uh, in order to gain greater depth of understanding. Right. Um okay, let me put up a pull up a great example. Um Matthew 13 the kingdom parables right uh-huh there is this one very enigmatic parable about leaven okay okay the kingdom of heaven is like unto a woman who puts leaven in three measures of meal now most of your uh commenta- commentaries will will go on okay well that's a good thing church is growing just like leaven grows in in bread and it's, it's going to grow and it's going to take over the world. And, but that's, I don't believe at all that that's what Jesus was saying. And the reason why is because leaven has meaning. Right. Like if you just read Matthew 13 and did ex, your expository study on just Matthew 13 and never left that chapter, you're stuck with what is leaven. Right. Is it just a leavening agent? Is it just a physical thing? Here's another thing. In that Three measures of meal. He didn't say just a loaf of bread. He specifically said three measures of meal. So when we're studying this type of thing, go find out what the significance of right. three measures of meal is. Go find out what the significance of leaven is. And you'll find that if you go to Genesis 18, well, now you hear a story of Abraham welcoming three visitors into his home one of which seems to be God himself, or at least God incarnate. Right. And he tells Sarah, go prepare three measures of meal. That became a historic cultural thing to the Jews. Three measures of meal meant fellowship. And whenever someone came to your home, you would offer them fellowship. So now, with that understanding, you can now understand Matthew 13— a little bit better, because now you know that he's saying leaven's a symbol of sin in the Old Testament. He, she, this woman is putting sin in the fellowship offering. That sounds bad, right? <laughs> so we went from understanding this text to being a good thing to all of a sudden it being a bad thing, right? All because we did some topical research. And so I do think that, like, if you're preaching through Matthew 13, it would be beneficial for you to tell your audience about this. Right. Which means you're now doing some sort of topical jump over into Genesis 18 to explain what Three Measures of Meal is all about.
0: Exactly. And that's uh, that's one of the places where pastors can be lazy again, is not doing that, right? Right. And then they, <clears throat> they accidentally mess up on the the uh um, the understanding of the scripture because they're not putting it in the context of the whole Bible mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right um, so I think a good if you're gonna do either expository or topical scripture backs up scripture
1: yes it's the best it's the best commentary on itself
0: that's right so you know where uh, where an expository preacher can get lazy is just looking at that one. Couple couple verses, and then not jumping over to any other verses in Scripture that help us understand that verse, right? Even better. And so there is the laziness lines the lines sides. start
1: getting blurred a little bit, right? In in all this. Um, the last thing that I had that was a um, um, a, a, a thing that I, I keep hearing about topical preaching is that it's too narrow, it's too culturally focused or on local needs. So, in other words, whenever you're a preacher, you're a pastor, or whatever, you're going to get up in the pulpit, how do you decide what you're going to preach on if you're a topical preacher, right? You are going to pick something that you think is going to be uh, culturally fit your local congregation. Right. Whether that's good or bad. Like, whether it's either something they need or whether it's something that you think they'll they'll be happy with. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Whatever. It allows you to be too narrow in, in your teaching. Yeah. Instead of being, the whole of scripture would be broad. So you, there, there might be cultural th- things that span your culture right. if you did an expositional study from the pulpit. But if you're going to do topical, you're generally going to stick into a, a, a narrower view.
0: Right. That's good. What do you think about uh, textual preaching? Have you thought about that one? Do you know? The other...
1: How, how are you defining that? What do you mean? Okay, so
0: like Charles, C.H. Spurgeon is uh, the king of this. Okay. The prince of preachers. I, I got to throw that out there. So textual uh, preaching would be taking one, like one verse mm-hmm. and then expounding on
1: it. Spending the whole sermon on one verse. Yes. Yeah. As long as you're doing what we're talking about. Exactly. And that's <laughs> my point. So... <laughs> as long as you know what that verse means before you start doing it. Here's my thinking on this.
0: Let's say you're doing a marriage retreat. Okay, okay. Um, what type of preaching or teaching should you use for a marriage retreat? Topical, most most likely topical, and the reason is is because you're not going to expound on First Timothy. Walk through, you know, the uh, right. book of First Timothy. Right, right. Doing a marriage retreat. What are you going to talk about? You're going to talk about husbands and wives and relationships. That's what you're going to do on a marriage retreat. Okay? Yes. What What if you were, you know, what if you need to do a small group Bible study? I think the best best way to do those are expository. Right, you need to do expository. Everyone's going to
1: be here every week. We're going to sit down. We're going to go through an entire book. Right, we're going to understand what the writer was saying, what the context of that writing was. Exactly, who the author was, who the audience was,
0: and then textual. I mean, that can be used at any any special event, any any type of thing going on. I don't know, maybe um, uh, maybe an ordination or something Mm -hmm. like that. Right. Well, it's
1: kind of like you know. A few weeks ago, I gave a sermon on uh, the Shema. Yeah, basically, the whole sermon was based on the Shema.
0: Exactly. So, all of these different types of sermons mm-hmm. are tools that a good pastor can use deliver hom- homiletically. But I think a good mix is a is a
1: uh, is important. Yes. Like, don't don't always do just one or the other. Um, and I think what you said about the marriage retreat is perfect, and that, that, that goes into, you know, I had a couple of points that are actually positives in the realm of topical preaching. And one of those was uh, the fact that essential doctrines usually, if you if you want to to get a full understanding of an essential doctrine, you've got to move around. Mm-hmm. You, I mean, yes, you can hit John 3.16 while you're doing an expositional study of John three. And yes, you know, there's a few more passages around it that are going to cover salvation and the gospel. Right. But on the whole, there are other topics that are being discussed in That's that right. conversation with Nicodemus. And so um, if you're going to give a quote unquote gospel sermon, you kind of need to, to move around sure. in the scriptures. Um, for example, you used to give a, if you were going to give a sermon on love, okay, you might say 1 Corinthians thirteen. First Corinthians thirteen. I'll go do an expositional study of First Corinthians thir- thirteen. Okay, how do you find out that love is the fulfilling of the law? Mm. It's not really covered in that chapter, right. <laughs> but it's an important <laughs> doctrine about love. Right. And so you might have to jump over to Romans thirteen yeah. or or Galatians five. How about baptism? Or,
0: That'd be an interesting, one. right?
1: Right, because and, and there's been a lot of people that build doctrines around baptism from one passage, right. or you know, here and there, instead of looking at the whole.
0: Yeah, well, a good a good case for topical preaching. Then I was just thinking of this when people do new members classes in some of these bigger churches. Mm-hmm. They're not they're not walking through one book. They're doing. Topical preaching—they're going from this doctrine to this doctrine to this doctrine. This is what we believe. These are the essential doctrines of our faith. Yeah, and they're topical, and that's okay as long as you're doing it exegetically.
1: Yes, as long as you are using proper hermeneutics and 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 looking up things about the passages that you're using, and you're not being lazy about it, and and you're not being narrow or uh, shallow mm-hmm. in your search. Um, Another thing that, that I thought of was, what about when you're preaching to a congregation? You've got a myriad of people out there. Oh, yeah. Uh, and like, if you're in a small group, you're going to have the same handful of people that are coming pretty regularly. They're also very interested in learning the Bible, or they're generally not going to be there, right? right? Especially if this is a weeknight or something like that. Right. So that's a perfect place for for an expositional study, because... You've got a captive audience for a long period of time. Right. You can take your time and go through, like right now in our um, Thursday night study, we're going through the book of 1 Samuel, probably going to go through the first two books of, of Samuel, Samuel because I'm wanting to teach about the history of, of Israel uh, and specifically about the kingdoms. So, um, so we're expositionally going through First and Second Samuel. Um, and so that's going to take us a while, but right. if I was, go- if I was going to do that from the pulpit at our congregation, we've got a lot of people that for one, aren't all that interested in Bible study. Uh, doesn't mean they won't learn from it, but it also means that as I'm going through the slower parts of the h- historical writing, there's going to be more nodding off and more people.
0: You li- might get some shut off. So. Li-
1: yeah. Leaving. And then you've also got people that are coming goers. Mm-hmm. You've got people in your congregation that are going to be there regularly, but then you've also got these guys that, you know, they may be there every other week or, or, or whatever. And you may have guys, visitors coming that really need to hear some essential truths mm-hmm. and, or some essential uh truths and, um, uh, for their very souls. Right. And so, um, to me if you if you lock yourself into this one style of preaching well then you're you're feeding a certain part of your flock but there's another part of your flock that is going to go kind of largely unattended to right because they're not quite ready for the meat so like if you look at, the, at passages that talk about you know i have only fed you with milk because up until this point you haven't really been ready for the meat right but at, but at this point you should be ready for the meet, you know, in Hebrews with that five and six. Yeah. Another bad chapter break. <laughs> <laughs> where he's where he's he's saying that, you know, there's different styles of teaching for different styles of audiences. Yeah. And I think you have to be very cognizant about who's sitting in your audience and, and how are you going to present the Bible in the most effective way
0: Amen, that's right. to the audience. Right. So well, and yeah. That, so the point is, I think the most important thing is we need to. I don't. I don't think that. Uh, it's very fruitful for us to sit back and argue topical, expository, textual. The main thing we need to argue is exegesis, eisegesis, are you doing it correctly? Mm-hmm. Are you correctly dividing the Word of God? Like, Commitment to the Scriptures. Are you committing to what, what you're teaching?
1: Um, another thing that comes into play, your traditions. Oh, yeah. You've been born and raised with this teaching, so you don't have to study it, right?
0: <laughs> wow.
1: And that's part of, really, I mean, people do that, they, they, sure. and they don't even think about it. It's like, this is a truth, because I've always known this. Right and you just you throw it up out there to everybody, and you don't spend a lot of time studying it mm-hmm. again. when you, you might, Your eyes might be completely open to some traditional teaching that you've been stuck in forever that might not quite be the truth. Right. And, uh, you know, I just believe we should always be learning.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Like, from day one till, you know, the last one.
0: Glory, yep.
1: Yeah, I mean, you should be trying to learn every... Every day. And of course, a lot of that is also going to be tied to your hermeneutics. What are you doing whenever you study? Are you simply reading? Or are you investigating?
0: Are you, you know... Researching, bouncing it off others?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Getting opinions from other people. Right. I mean, two or three... You know, are uh, are you presenting your sermon to somebody else before you present it to the congregation? I mean, there's all kinds of ways that you can improve your homiletics... And it's not just about, you know, expositional or topical. It's a lot deeper than that. Right. It goes back to making sure that the truth is at the center.
0: Mm. Amen. That's good. All
1: right. You ready to do some news?
0: Hey, let's do it, man. And now, the news. So weird about that right <laughs> Uh Well, I said let's do it. None of my... News reports. Oh, here we go. <clears throat> Evangelical leaders write letter to Donald Trump about refugee ban. We are troubled. <clears throat> the Christian humanitarian organization, World Vision. We've talked about them a whole bunch. Yes. Love World Vision, wrote a book, The Hole in the Gospel, the leader... Richard Stearns. Richard Stearns Mm -hmm. released a letter addressed to President Trump and Vice President Pence expressing concerns about a recent executive order banning refugees from several predominantly Muslim countries while new, quote, extreme vetting, quote, Unquote, measures are put in place. The letter was signed by leadership from groups including the National Hispanic Christian Leadership Conference, Wesleyan Church, World Relief, Korean Churches for Community Development, National Association of Evangelicals, and Accord Network. The organization's leadership wrote that they are troubled. By the order saying, the Bible teaches us that each person, including each refugee, regardless of their country or origin, religious background, or any other qualifier, is made in the image of God with inherent dignity and potential. Their lives matter to God. They matter to us. While the U.S. has, in recent years, received only a fraction of 1% of the world's refugees annually, we believe the Refugee Resettlement Program... Provides a lifeline to those these uniquely vulnerable individuals, and a vital opportunity for our churches to live out the biblical commands to love our neighbors and make disciples of all nations, and to practice hospitality. Wow, what do you think? Well, should we get political in here? I guess we can. I,
1: I'm honestly. I don't have a great opinion about this I one way either. or the other. And and I know that's that may be horrible sounding to say, but I can see clear arguments on both sides. Sure. And having I actually you know read the executive order verbatim to see exactly what it said because it was confusing to me. I was like, what, he's just shutting down all traffic into the United States? Right. But it's it's not quite that simple. Um and there are... Now, is
0: this the same thing that uh, President Obama did in 2011? <laughs> That's the question I want to know.
1: I didn't read that. So that executive order.
0: <laughs> Basically, it was, uh, was it Iraq? I think it was Iraq and a couple of other countries he shut down. Hmm. I think the way he did it was...
1: Well, for one, the media is always going to spin a... And spin 100%. it hard, right? One way or the other, they're either going to push it under the rug if it's right. for you know their candidate, right. or they're going to spin it up into mass hysteria if it's the guy that they're opposed to. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I mean, I I get both. I mean, I agree with everything Richard Stern said, sure. but I don't know if he touched on the point. I don't know if he really did. Right. I mean, the point is is about safety, right? I mean, let's take this a little bit closer. Everybody locks their doors at night. Why? Right. Why don't you just let the guy in that wants to wander in? Yeah. I mean, because that's kind of what, that's the other side of the story.
0: Another thing that I, I love how people are up in arms at the government, but how many of our churches are allowing refugees in? How many of our churches are allowing even the homeless around our towns in?
1: Yeah. Well, exactly. That, that's not going to be equa- equatable at all. Right. And I mean, this kind of goes to like, okay, for example, if you have a homeless population around your home, you're, you're going to lock the doors, right? I mean, that's just what's going to happen. Yeah. You're not going to be like, you know, hey, my door's unlocked and there are some spare rooms in the house. If any of you guys want to just, you know, wander in and you might be still a loving Christian and invite a person in that you've talked to and you know them a little bit, whatever. And it's like, Oh, Hey, but you're
0: going to do some kind of a screen. You're going to come live into my, <laughs> if
1: you, if you want to come live with me, that be, I'll, I'll help you out in any way I can. And that's great. But you don't just carte Blanc, just leave the gate open. Right. And I think that's the, that's what's being argued. I I mean, I really don't know because I see the other side as well. You got all these people that are, are now they got families in both countries or they're stuck in the middle of school or, I mean, there's all kinds of, of situations. One of the things I think that that Trump needed to do was maybe take things a little, you know, ramp it a little bit. and not go hardcore all the way for, yeah, right. for it, but I, but I don't know. I'm not in that position and I hope I will never be. Gosh.
0: <laughs> you know? Yeah. And that's the, that's the thing. And the thing I meant by, I, I think he, he went about it a little bit, Abruptly, kind of in the wrong way, is the people who were stuck in airports who had green cards coming right, back from, right. it, you know, to go to their universities. Mm-hmm. They study here, you know, and they're not being let in. And I think that, that it should have been a bit of a warning. There should have been a warning.
1: Yeah, something anyway.
0: Exactly, instead of a shut. Yeah, yeah I can agree, That's with, it. agree with that. Too. So anyways, yeah, let us know what you think about this, by the way, (laughs) send us an email or do a voice call and and let us know what you think about Donald Trump and his executive order so far. Um, president Trump anyways. All right. Report global gender equality is still 170 years away. The world economic forum has released the troubling findings of a new study that found that it will be nearly two centuries until there's true gender equality around the globe. The Group looked at a variety of factors, engaged equality, including health, education, economic participation, and political empowerment, and found that gender equality is still 170 years away. That is, unless major changes are undertaken. Though globally, men and women's rates are going to school... uh, Men and women's rates of going to school are about the same, and they have similar health statuses. Mm -hmm. The other two states are in desperate need of change. Not only... Are they unrepresented politically? But in 74 out of 140 nations studied, economic gaps have actually widened in the last year. Yeah. Pretty crazy. So hmm. I, we are totally a globe of inequality, period. Socially, social, Socioeconomically, gender uh, speaking, you know. Yeah. 100%. So that's sad. But I don't have much to comment on that other than sad. Sad day, how about this one? Just one in seven pastors are now under the age of forty. one in seven, really? Yeah,
1: that sounds odd to me. Maybe it's because most of the mega pastors or the super pastors that you hear they're all young guys.
0: <laughs> well yeah <New laughs> the, the, all
1: every, all the all the ones in the local churches are old. <laughs>
0: That's true. New research shows that Christian pastors in America are getting older. The State of Pastors 2017 study, which was uh, conducted in a partnership between Pepperdine University and Barna Group, found that the age of the average pastor has risen somewhat uh, dramatically since 1991. When it was 44 year old, years old, today the average age is 54 years old. The average age of pastors is 54 years old. And only one in seven are younger than the age of 40. The research team conducted that more than 14,000 interviews over the course of three years. One in seven pastors under the age of 40. Why? What do you think that is? I think that we're becoming uh, Do
1: you think that the, um I mean do, do those t- statistics show out that in years past there's been another view or is this just been the how it is?
0: I don't know. I didn't look at the actual I didn't look at the actual cuz
1: uh, you know and there's all kinds of of doctrinal interviews. arguments that could come into play here also in re- in relevance to um uh, the fact that the the, the word elder was actually it's the same word that you get pastor from. Right. Uh, presbyter.
0: And I imagine that this is first off, I imagine this is all evangelical, um, because it's done Barna. Right. Um but I bet they took into consideration uh ecclesiastical churches that call them bishops and you know what I mean? Yeah. And different types of different types of churches, elders as well. Uh, paid. I imagine it's probably paid mm-hmm. pastoral staff. Oh, one and one in every seven is under the age of forty or right. older, older than forty. Um, and I think it's because we're becoming more and more a less Christian, a post-Christian nation.
1: <laughs> is that like, because you're young?
0: Yeah. <laughs> but honestly, I'm th- so I'm thirty five. Right. Right. Um, how many of my friends are pastors who are thirty five or younger? Not many. <laughs> almost all of my friends who are pastors are older than me. Yeah, almost all of them. So that that tells me something. And most of my friends who are my age or younger, most of them are not See, participating in church.
1: Another thing that has to come into play here is what what are we talking about? as, as far as pastors because different churches use that term differently. So like, um, or is that just a teacher, a preacher, or is that, I mean, because there there are some that pastors, that's what their job is. They just, they're teachers. But then you've got some pastors that are full blown leaders of the church. Right. And so
0: again, I think it's paid staff. I think it's probably what they're considering in this. Okay. Which you and I know differently, but
1: yeah, I mean, we came from completely different backgrounds as far as this is concerned. (laughs) So there was no like young elders in the group I was in. Like that just, we just didn't exist. There was deacons. I mean, you could, you could be a deacon and be a young guy. Right. But, uh,
0: well, I mean, to give you or a preacher, you could just be a preacher. I'll give you a huge, a huge, um, example of this. My dad was 18 when he, Started pastoring he, His first church Was when he was 18 years old was,
1: Like he Like he Pastored the church Himself Like Was
0: the leader Of that church Yeah Wow 18 years old And that's normal For southern <laughs> Baptists
1: Interesting So what did the Older congregants Think about that
0: they, I mean he had deacons Oh were, yeah I forgot your are Yeah
1: The deacons are old And the pastors are... <laughs> Pretty much
0: <laughs> Still the other way around yeah. Okay. Except for there's it's, not many young pastors anymore. Yeah. They're all shuffling off.
1: It's kind of I think it just really depends on your on your affiliation. Because I mean, let's go the whole I mean Catholics. Look at Catholic clergy. They're all old, right?
0: I mean, I, they're not all old.
1: Okay. How many young popes have there been?
0: Okay, popes. But priests, there's a lot of young priests.
1: Okay, well, yeah. But you're not going to be a bishop or a cardinal or, or no. But
0: you're going to be in charge of your own parish. Yeah, as a priest, so that's a pastor, basically.
1: <laughs> I don't know. I think it, it, I think it'd the be definition, hard to discuss without knowing their. I think the definition should polling.
0: be ordination.
1: Okay, but that includes cardinals and bishops and
0: right old people. But I think there are a lot of young priests, yeah. or there used to be, anyways. <sighs> <laughs> it's an interesting discussion. We ought to talk about uh, have we church done leadership. Church leadership.
1: Um, I don't think we've actually done a full episode on that.
0: What is it? Was it called church? Um, oh, what's the name of that? I can't remember. It's too late. Uh, <laughs> what's the name of that church uh, government? Um, it's called. What's the theological term for church government?
1: Uh, Someone will call in and tell
0: us. I know. I'm totally, <laughs> I'm totally biffing that. Anyways, all right. Pence, uh, Vice President Pence went for the went to the March for Life this year, um, and he spoke and he uh, gave a great speech. Uh, Vice President Met, uh, Pence became the highest ranking elected official ever to speak at the March for Life rally in Washington D.C. in the event's 40 year history. And though parts of the beginning of the speech took a strong political tone, the speech ended with a plea for protesters to remain compassionate. He told the marchers, I urge you to press on, but as is written, let your gentleness be evident to all. Let the movement be known for love, not anger. Let this movement be known for compassion, not confrontation. When it comes to matters of the heart, there's nothing stronger than gentleness. I believe we will continue to win the hearts and minds of the rising generation if our hearts First break for young mothers and their unborn children. And if we, each of us, do all we can to meet them where they are with generosity, not judgment. To heal our land and restore a culture of life, we must continue to be a movement that embraces all, cares for all, shows respect for the dignity and worth of every person. Wow,
1: that's pretty good.
0: Amazing. I love that speech. I want to cut that out and put it on a (laughs) t-shirt. Good old Vice President Pence. I'm a big fan of that guy. I am. I like him. I'm not afraid to admit it. I like him. I like him a lot. Mm, think we should get an apartment together. <laughs> Anyways. Dude, that's all I got. I'm done. I can't. you done, huh? I can't. I'm done. I, don't, I, don't, I didn't even do church history today. Yeah. Or Pope News. No. No, but we will have, I promise. All right, well, hand me the script. We'll have some of those next time, I swear. I got them stacked up over there. Yeah, you do. <laughs> I don't
1: know. The, the are part of the Great Commission Transmission Network, using new media and social networking to go into all the world and proclaim the good news to everyone. To find out more, go to the GCT Network. Oh, go to gctnetwork.com. Subscribe to the newsletter and stay up to date with all our shows, including Finding Christ in Cinema and The Secret Fire Podcast. Woohoo!
0: Visit our website at Theonautspodcast.com for show notes and outlines. Listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or your favorite podcast catcher. And be sure to rate us, because that helps us reach a larger audience.
1: There are several ways you can contact us and leave us feedback. Send us email to Theonauts at GCTNetwork.com or call us on our voicemail line at 972- Eight eight five seven two seven zero.
0: Tweet to us on Twitter using at Theonautical. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Theonauts.
1: And if you like us and want even more Theonauts, drop us a buck or two at patreon.com slash Theonauts. Your patronage helps in our expenses like hosting fees and equipment costs.
0: Don't forget to tune in again and explore the vast reaches of God's Word. Alright, so Jeremiah, thanks for being here, brother. Thank you, David. Alright, God bless.
1: This has been the Theonauts Podcast. Call us with your questions or comments at 972-885-7270. That's 972-885-7270. Love to hear from you.
0: You are tuned in to the GCT Network. This is your Great Commission. This is your Great Commission transmission. At GCTNetwork.com. Is your great commission, I learned to read some. I read the Bible quite a bit. I can't understand all of it. But I reckon I understand a good deal of it.